This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, this is Anwar Mabob. Southeast Asia's booming digital payment market is expected to hit $2 trillion US dollars by 2030. Fintechs are taking notice and are entering the region to capture a share of the action. Seated at the Breakfast Grill is one such company, Neom. This morning, we have Anupam Pahuja, Executive Vice President and General Manager for APEC, Middle East and Africa. He speaks to us about the intricacies of the payment and remittance business in the Asia-Pacific region. Anupam, thank you for coming on The Breakfast Grill. Singapore's Deputy Prime Minister spoke at your office about how digital payments make cross-border financial transactions low-cost and secure while addressing underserved segments of society. Why do you address this segment when you're not the only player, when fees are super competitive and risk extremely high? Anwar, thank you, for first of all, for having me at the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Nuneem is, uh, is one of the unicorns out of uh, Southeast Asia uh, that is very much focused on the B2B uh, payments remittance spaces. This space is, uh, is, is burgeoning, is uh, strife with competition, and uh, fees uh, are, are an important issue, as well as financial inclusion, which is the problem all of us are trying to solve for. Um, to take a just step back, uh, the company is focused on moving money uh, for banks and for large institutions. So what happens is when you as a person go to a bank and say, hey, I want to send money from, let's say, Malaysia to another market, let's say Singapore or Thailand, um, the bank will actually come to a company like us, uh, uh, Neom, and uh, say, hey, this person wants to move money from point A to point B. We as an infrastructure provider actually provide the FX rates to the company and uh, to the bank, and then the bank actually moves the money uh, transferred to us, and we move the money uh, to the corresponding country. So in effect, we are the platform, the underlying platform that enables the money movement from country A to country B. How do you compete when there is a price war, you know, margins are squeezed? How do you differentiate and remedy the potential shortfall? Is this on pricing alone? Price wars is on the consumer space. The problem of money movement on the consumer space has largely been solved. But the money movement for businesses, the problem is not solved. Let's assume you want to buy as a business something from... Um, Latin America, say Brazil or China, then the money movement for a business is it takes upwards of five to six days. It's not instantaneous. So what will happen is you place an order with a supplier, let's say in China, and say, I want to order, you know, uh, some, some goods from China, let's say, you know, 100 pairs of jeans or 200 pairs of some product from China. Uh, and you send a wire transfer. That's the main way of money movement in the business space. You don't know when the wire will actually get to China. You don't know how long it's going to take. You don't know what the currency conversion is going to be. Uh, and uh, you don't know how much fees banks are going to deduct uh, from it. The average cost to move money for a business is upwards of $25. Uh, so for consumers, the questions you're asking the problem has largely been solved where pricing is in cents. For businesses, the problem is that of large dollar amount, right? 
absolutely non-transparent way of knowing when the money will actually get there and the fees that will be charged in the me in, in the middle. Uh, uh, and so that problem is what we're trying to solve for. Now, Asia-Pacific and North America continue to remain a dominant playing field for companies in your domain. So APEC alone contributes 40% of your revenue. Which countries in Asia are you focused to address in the near term? And where do you see the next leap for the company to come from? The way we look at our strategy in Asia-Pacific, we've divided our markets into four categories. One, we call our stable markets or our existing markets where we're doing quite well. Uh, Singapore, Australia fall in those categories. The second category of markets we look at is what we call our growth markets. This, this is where we expect our growth uh, to come from. Uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, Japan, South Korea. Uh, these, are, uh, these are the markets, Thailand. These are the markets in uh, Vietnam, Middle East, uh, sorry, Vietnam, Philippines. Uh, these are the markets in Asia where we expect the growth to come from. Uh, then we have another bucket, which we call our experiment markets, where we feel that there is a market, but we need to really dig deeper in order to understand how things will unfold for us. Uh, and those markets, I would argue, would be our GCC markets in the Middle East, many markets in Africa that we're looking at, um, in North Africa in particular, South Africa. Uh, and, and the fourth and final category we're looking at are markets that you know we don't want to touch as of yet. We don't know enough. The regulatory framework is not necessarily as clear to us. The GDP of the country itself may be too small for us uh, to target. So we have chosen our bets between our existing markets, our growth markets, and our experiment markets. So looking at 2024, looking ahead, uh, what's your forecast in terms of the volumes, payment volumes for Asia PAC, and which country do you think will be driving this as well? Over $7 trillion is going to move every year between now and 2025 in the B2B space. 95% of the money movement around the world, maybe not 95, let's say 92% or thereabouts of money movement around the world is actually B2B uh, money movement. So as you can tell, it's a huge market. Um, $7 trillion is, is very large. 8% of that $7 trillion is the consumer space. This is the P2P money movement or money movement consumers paying to businesses. So the large problem is that of the B2B side. And where we see growth coming from, that was your original question. In Asia, we expect you know, China to continue to be the supplier for the world. As you can imagine, people buy goods from China all the time. Hong Kong is the gateway to China. We expect a lot of uh, money movement in and out of Hong Kong. Emerging markets um, such as uh, Vietnam, from a geopolitical perspective, are starting to, uh, to become impressive. Uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, we would expect these markets to start catching up uh, to the world. But we've also seen ASEAN banks like DBS, they're behaving like a digital company now. So they have been active to make cross-border transactions simpler. So how do you address the challenge of incumbents, these large incumbents, when the playing field is getting even more leveled? Um, what we do as a company is we help these large banks to actually become digital. Uh, so our job is not to compete with the banks. Our job is to make the banks better. Uh, we move money in over 80 markets around the world in real-time or near real-time basis. 
All the banks want to get to real-time money movement. They are unable to, as I gave you an example prior, wire transfers could take upwards of a week. Uh, so we are actually help, helping banks. In Malaysia, for example, we help move money for CIMB Bank. In Thailand, off the top five banks, uh, we move money for top four banks. Uh, in Singapore, if you look at some of the largest banks, uh, we are either in conversations with them to help them move money or already moving money for them. Now, it was noticed that Neom's cash position stood at $612 million as, as at December 31st, 22, but cash generated from operating activities fell to $112 million in 22 from $160 million in 21. Now, margins are narrow. How high is your acquisition cost? And what else do you need to spend more money on to attract and retain clients? Yeah, what um, so Neom did um, $82 million of uh, the revenue uh, last year. Um, and we are on a trajectory to almost double that this year. So we are on a very healthy clip. The numbers that you're sharing on are, are numbers from what I would call you call value companies, companies that are not growing as rapidly, where we are expecting over 80% Y-on-Y growth. We take our money and we reinvest it back into the business to help grow the business, not necessarily take the money out of the business. So, so the numbers that we are looking at are necessarily around growth not necessarily about profitability. There will come a time uh, when we need to focus on profit profitability, which is very soon. Uh, and we're looking to break even um, as early as this year um, or, or next year in 2024. Uh, our focus, however, is on profitability. The problem at NEA, you know, if you look at a business and you divide it into two broad categories, there's a zero to one aspect uh, where you're experimenting, where you're trying to figure out where the business will go. Uh, the, do you have a solution for a problem that the business needs to solve for? Or are you a business that has a solution looking for a problem? Uh, so that's what I call the zero to one type of the business, where you take a lot of ideas and you throw them against the wall. Then if you categorize the business into one to 100, so there's zero to one phase, and then there's a one to 100 phase. The one to 100 phase is taking what you have developed, what you have created, and rapidly uh, ex extending that and, and really scaling that uh, in a way that is faster than everybody else. Uh, we at Neom are in the second phase of the business. We're in the one to 100 phase, where we're trying to scale our business as fast as we can to as many markets as we can. So let's talk data security. Now, governments are becoming more active in regulating payments, and this activity is affecting the operations of some payments infrastructure providers. Now, how difficult is it to ensure client data remains secure as the risk of cyber attacks keep multiplying while also addressing the requirements of the host country that you do business in? As uh, the world becomes a global village, uh, more and more there is a need for data privacy, uh, and ensuring that the consumer data is safeguarded. Um, you know, you have to build trust into the system in order for people to use your system uh, and feel confident in using your system. Uh, any small breach, any small uh, attack uh, could play havoc, not just for a company, but for the entire world, um, given that there's such a big movement away from physical cash to digital uh, payments. 
So data privacy, data security are of paramount importance for every company. And as you well suggested, the regulatory environment uh, around the world is becoming more and more stringent. Uh, and more and more governments are looking at this and each country has built their own nuance on how they build data privacy and data protection. So where do you store the individual country data? Do you need to store it in various locations? And is this a major expense for you? Every country has suggested has its own nuance. And every country is looking at what we call data balkanization, which is wanting to keep the data of their citizens located in their own country. Uh, either India, for example, China, for example, have already passed laws that says data for the Indian citizens should only reside in that country. So we're seeing balkanization of data around the world. And the way we look at our company, uh, we feel that having local regulatory approvals and adherence is critical for our success. So we actually use data regulatory frameworks as a weapon, not as a shield. So we are uh, licensed in over 40 markets around the world which is probably one of the largest licensed companies in the world, because we feel uh, in order to provide confidence uh, to our client base, we need to ensure that we adhere to the local uh, data requirements, including Malaysia. We're licensed in Malaysia. On the breakfast grill this morning is Neum's Anupam Pahuja, Executive Vice President and General Manager for APAC Middle East and Africa. After the break, with a 50 million US dollar cash war chest, what target companies is Neum looking at? BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. In the hot seat this morning is Neum's Anupam Pahuja, Executive Vice President and General Manager for APEC, Middle East and Africa. Now, before the break, should Neum be worried about the challenges that they may face from established banks that are evolving from traditional banking to fintech-type startups? Let's talk about consolidation. It was reported that Neum's looking to snap up two to three payment startups and has set aside $50 million in cash to fund the purchases. Which segments of the payment remittance industry are you looking to acquire to complement your business? Um, look, we, we are an acquisitive company. One way is to vertically go after additional companies uh, that are doing a similar business to ours. Uh, another way to grow is to grow horizontally or inorganically, which is to acquire companies in adjacencies. If you look at what Neom does really, really well, it's the movement of money from point A to point B, especially when it comes to cross-border money movement. We may look to acquire companies that do a similar business as that. They could be on the consumer side or on the business side, maybe in different geographies. We may also look to acquire companies that are adjacent to us. For example, we don't do acquiring. We may look to acquire companies that do acquiring. Uh, that will help us give us broader scale uh, in the payments landscape. So both of those options are open. Niam recently formed a partnership with JB Bank or Jeonbuk Bank, a South Korean financial institution, to, to offer the country's first global remittance service for foreigners residing there. Now, are these types of collaborations with traditional banks the way forward for the company? Absolutely. And if you look at the problem in South Korea, but what we found was here's a company that is predominantly, uh, you know, speaks Korean. Uh, all the paperwork, all of the effort that is put into this country is in Korean, and, and rightfully so. Um, but yet you have about two and a half million immigrant workers uh, living, working and contributing to the society in South, uh, in South Korea. 
Now, these people have a very difficult time walking into a bank uh, because they don't speak the language or write the language to fill out the forms to send money back home. Indeed, the reason why they are in South Korea is predominantly to earn a living for their families, which are back home. And it just so happens that most of these people are in South Asia, Southeast Asia. And we saw this to be a huge problem, and so did JB Bank. Now, JB Bank, as a fundamental uh, focus, is trying to drive this financial inclusion problem, uh, to solve this financial inclusion problem. And we found this to be an ideal match to enable JB Bank through their 100 branches and their app, which we are working on uh, and, and available in 16 different languages, to be able to power uh, their bank branches and their apps at the platform underlying the bank to help them move money in real time or near real time uh, to all of the markets where the immigrants uh, in South Africa, uh, South Korea are working, uh, are working in. Now, let's talk about talent. In your 22 filing with the County and Corporate Regulatory Authority of Singapore, staff expenses doubled, causing higher losses. Now, is talent very scarce? And can you describe the measures that you take to retain talent besides paying premiums? Look, we are a knowledge company, right? Talent is what we thrive on, count on to make our business grow. Um, and so it starts and ends with human capital. Uh, and, uh, and finding good talent anywhere around the world for uh, the right companies, uh, you know, is, is is always an issue. But I find there's more talent available to us uh, than maybe other companies because of the innovation that we are driving in the market. Uh, we're in the forefront of B2B money movement. If you look at any of the large players around the world, who you think of as payment providers, um, whether it's PayPal or Stripe or IDN or some of these other companies, they're all great companies, by the way, I used to work for one of them, um, but they're all working on the consumer space. We're working on the business layer, which is a fundamentally different problem. Uh, you know, and I'll equate that to you know, either a Ferrari or a 18-wheeler semi-truck uh, or a tank. Now, is a Ferrari better than a tank? Uh, my argument is, you know, horses for horses, it depends. Uh, so we are one of the few companies working on the B2B space. For us, talent is paramount importance, and we're able to find the right talent uh, in multiple geographies. Um, where we have our uh, large uh, centers uh, is in San Francisco, uh, in uh, Bangalore, in uh, Singapore, and in uh, London, and in Malta. And we're building out Amsterdam as we speak from a talent perspective. And we find that all of these space uh, being uh, geographically dispersed gives us the ability to uh, attract and retain the right kind of talent for our company. Now, Singapore experienced a large money laundering investigation earlier this year, $2.8 billion. Now, regulators are increasing their vigilance and scrutiny of payments. How does NEOM address this when the intricacies behind digital payments become more complex while keeping one step ahead of criminals who abuse the system? So the way NEOM looks at compliance and the way Neom looks at ensuring that our transactions are safe, it's a it's a continuous process for us. Before we onboard a customer, we go through an enhanced due diligence process where we ensure that the customer we're onboarding is the customer that's not a bad actor. Then for every, so that's pre-transaction, the due diligence. For every transaction that moves through our system, we, all, we, we, we do compliance checks using worldwide standards and we ensure that every transaction that is moving through our systems is fully vetted 
uh, not only by our systems, but there are some global systems that we utilize around the world to ensure that the transactions are not being conducted by bad actors. But it doesn't stop there. Then we move on to post-transactions. We retroactively look at our transactions and the patterns, and we deploy machine learning to ensure that the patterns that we are seeing in our systems are commensurate with uh, people not fudging transactions or doing something that is not uh, to be the right way. So pre-transaction, during transactions, post-transactions, we have a comprehensive way of looking at how money moves through our system and ensuring that there are no bad actors into the system. Now, retaining compliance people during this day and age is getting more complex. Now, how does Neom ensure that it keeps the best people to continue not only building the business, but protecting it? Whether it's compliance or tech talent, I think, you know, talent is paramount. And it's not just about a company that pays a lot of money. Uh, you know, people these days is, are not looking at just as a cash uh, payout. They're looking at a vision and a mission of a company. People want to strive to a higher purpose in life. They want to work for a company that not only is something that gives them a good paycheck, which is basically fundamental, but also caters to a higher mission and purpose in life. Why do you get up in the morning? What is the reason for you come to work in the morning? My argument is Neom is one of those rare companies that really has a well-defined purpose and mission in life. I have, I'm not coming to work for Neom to make a buck. I'm coming because I truly believe in what Neom does and the, the benefit we're able to provide to people around the world. Um, and so whether it's compliance, you're absolutely right. Compliance talent is difficult to get. Tech, you're absolutely right, difficult to get. But we have been blessed with having an amazing mission and purpose and a company that is growing very, very rapidly. So all the stars, in my view, are lining up for you, and therefore I am here and the rest of the team is here. And lastly, how do you manage the risk in crypto? As it was reported, you also have a crypto as a service offering in order to assist financial institutions. We move money for large banks and institutions. And inherently, the risk profile of these banking institutions is, you know, uh, they, they want to be as risk-free as possible. Uh, so we looked very hard at our crypto division um, and decided to actually close it. And the reason we closed it is because it was raising our risk profile. Uh, we do not want to do anything that remotely smells or feels like there's a higher risk uh, in the company. Uh, so we don't do uh, crypto any longer. Uh, we're purely focused on our core mission of moving money across borders for large institutions and businesses. So on that note, thank you for your time. Today on The Breakfast Grill was Neum's Anupam Pahuja. Executive Vice President and General Manager for APAC, Middle East and Africa. I am Anomaba, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.